weeks of fall. Come every week with expectation, every week. And today we're talking about abundant life. And we're in the first 16 verses of Matthew chapter 5. Open your Bibles or turn on your Bibles if you haven't yet to Matthew chapter 5. Let's just immerse ourselves in the living, breathing Word of God together as Jesus opens his sermons with his sermon with the Beatitudes. How many people have heard that word, the Beatitudes? All right, you're going to learn more about it today. And you'll see on your notes, point one is setting the story. We're kicking this series off. Let's establish some important facts about what we see, what we're journeying into Scripture this fall. First of all, it's the book of Matthew. But Matthew is one of 66 books in the Bible. They all work together to form one word of God that tells us everything about God and life. But the book of Matthew, Matthew wrote about the fulfillment of all that the Old Testament pointed to, that is the Messiah of God, the Son of God, came and his name was Jesus. He became one of us. Emmanuel, God with us, the King of Kings. Matthew's opening chapters, including 5 through 7, announce God's kingdom to the world. The phrase kingdom of heaven is a key phrase, and that appears in the book of Matthew 32 times. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of heaven. What is the kingdom of heaven? We've been talking about this this year. The kingdom of heaven is the reign and rule of Jesus over everything. Everything, and I mean, think of everything, everything. There's a sense in which God's kingdom has already come. Jesus brought it in the new covenant when he came to the earth 2,000 years ago. He launched his kingdom, but it is not complete yet. The reign and rule of Jesus Christ will someday be over everything in every space, in every sense and dimension. And oh, what a glorious day that will be when, first of all, we have no more elections, no more politicians, just King Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, I want, you, I want to give you a warning as we kick off a study on the Sermon on the Mount. We will see every week that Jesus' lessons are virtually always upside down from the world's way of thinking. But following Jesus will glorify God and is always blessed abundantly. That's what we want. That's what we're after. Glorifying God, living the blessed, abundant life that Jesus promises. Let me just show you two quick pictures. I know our new projector is still in the other room. But here's what you're looking at there. Matthew says this sermon took place, the setting helps, in Capernaum by way of the sea. This is what the area looks like today. You can tell it's pretty nice. Uh, these were real events, real historical events. This is where it happened. You can go there. The geography is, is important. Here's a map. I doubt you can even, well, yeah, you can see this better, actually. The way by the sea is the Via Maris that you see right there. And that's a major trade route even today. It connects Egypt with Syria and Mesopotamia back then. And by teaching in this area, Jesus knew what he was doing. These teachings that, he, that we're going to learn this, this fall would travel all across the Roman world, all across the Roman Empire. So there's the setting. Now let's take ourselves there with Jesus' original hearers of these words and look at the first two, two verses in chapter 5. And we see... The setup. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain here. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So he had crowds and his followers all mixed together. And he opened his mouth and taught them. And he taught them, saying, Oh, so many things that we're going to dive into this fall together. 
Now with that story set, let's be stirred and drawn with open hearts to Jesus' words. And we see point number two there, starting the abundant life with the Beatitudes. Let's talk about starting an abundant abundant life. You've heard the word Beatitudes. That literally means, that word literally means supremely blessed. I like the sound of that. When Jesus speaks here, he sits down, he opens his mouth, and the first word that he utters is the word blessed. In John 10.10, Jesus said, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Now Jesus is going to build his entire sermon here on this word blessed. What does that word mean, blessed? It means happy. We'll get there. Here's a picture of a Chicago sewer worker I heard say one time, this is kind of, he described the meaningless of his life in a way that I think probably too often we can relate to. He said, I dig the ditch to earn the money, to buy the food, to get the strength to dig the ditch. How many times have we ever felt like our life was meaningless like that? Just goes in a, in a circle and we're wondering, why are we here? What is the purpose of our lives? What's the purpose of the, the good times and the bad times and the pain? Well, even for the sewer worker and for everyone, life is meant to be way more than a meaningless cycle filled with pain and good things happening simultaneously. It's more than living for the weekends. It's more than living for my own self-gratification. Jesus said, I promise you the abundant life. God's purpose is is for us to live blessed as Jesus wants us to. So let's get into this. First of all, let's look at this word blessed. I'm going to give the Greek word. We're not going to do a big word study here, but the Greek word is makarios. Now it's important to know which word Jesus chooses here because there are other words for the, that mean happy. I want to make sure one person, not one person goes away today without understanding the gravity of what Jesus wants for us in our lives and what that means to our lives. Makarios means happy. A definition is, listen to this, divine happiness that gives inner satisfaction to life. To be enriched by God and full of joy. That's the kind of happiness our soul craves. That's what Jesus offers. Now let's dig into Jesus' eight Beatitudes, which each build off of this concept. If that sounds good to you so far, listen to what Jesus has to say. I've divided the eight Beatitudes that you'll see as you're scanning your text there, if you have a Bible in front of you, into two categories. Four and four. The first four tell us how to start to live. And the second four tell us how to live abundantly. Every human soul longs to know. Point A, you see, how can I start to live? We know something's wrong. We know something's broken. How can I start to live? To truly live. When we come to the Beatitudes, as, you, as you've heard these before, or maybe this is the first time you've, you've heard these before, it seems like we might be talking about eight different categories or classes of people. You've got the poor in spirit over here, and you've got the people who are mourning over here. And that might be what it looks like, but that's not what Jesus is doing. He's building up one class of people. These are the people who get into the kingdom of heaven, who experience life that Jesus has. But the order is very important, as we're going to see. So we're going to march right through these in order as they build 
on each other. The first four tell us how to start to live. That's how to become a Christian. Have your sins forgiven. Going from spiritual darkness and death to light and life. And, and answer what every new Christian asks. Now what? How now do I live? That's where Jesus goes first. And as we look at each one of the four of that first category, we're going to look at an application for each of those, which if you have your notes, they're marked with B1, B2, B3, and so on. That's how we're going to approach this text. The word blessed. Where does Jesus start? This is critical where he starts. Read with me Matthew 5, verse 3. Blessed are the... Now just, just see that word blessed, huge, in big lights. Blessed, happy, divine happiness totally fulfilled. Number one, are those, are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is, this is how you start to live right here. What a startling and extraordinary statement to begin with. Right out of the gate, Jesus opens his mouth. He says the word blessed, happy. Everybody's, wow, everybody's hooked on that word. But he begins with an unexpected trait of somebody who's in the kingdom of God, and that is being humble. Humility. To become spiritually alive requires that we are poor in spirit. That is humility. I like how one author puts it. This means that humility is the first letter of the Christian alphabet. You get that? This is where it all starts. We are prideful people and we have to humble ourselves. This hurts our hearts of pride. But we cannot earn our way into God's kingdom. We want to do it ourselves or just gratify ourselves. But we can't. We come to the king to receive life from him, knowing that we are helpless and hopeless without him. Recognizing that we are sinners. And that spiritual life is a gift from God, God's grace alone, through our faith in Jesus Christ. So how can I start to live? B1 gives that first answer, and that is by repenting from sin and submitting to God. Blessed are the poor in spirit means happy are the humble who come to Christ in humility. He's the king. He's the savior. He's what I need. And he's the only source of that. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through Jesus. And then we submit to God. Now this is completely upside down from the world. Remember, secular humanism that is pumping this message into us through every method, through every means. That you can be your own God and that self-actualization is the highest good. And that's just not true. And it leads you away from God. It's only through humility that, that we come into heavenly joy for today, tomorrow, and for eternity. And so I ask, have you humbled yourself before God? Have you had that conversation with God and recognized that He's God and we're not? You can't truly start to live without Him. But you can live with him. Truly start to live. But that leads us to the second beatitude. We will mourn. And mourning comes with a blessing. Verse 4, blessed, again, that means happy are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. Now, mourning, grieving is not something that we long to do, right? But followers of Jesus will mourn deeply over the suffering of the world. You won't be apathetic to that anymore. But even more, you'll mourn over the sin that brings the suffering into the world. It's our mourning over our own sinfulness that leads to repentance. 
And that leads to life and to freedom over every kind of thing that has us in its bondage. We are blessed when we mourn. How can I start to live? B2, what's the application? By mourning over suffering and sin. And we receive the happiness of being comforted. And if you've ever mourned and been comforted in any way, you know the happiness of being comforted. All right, we are starting to live now. The plane's off the ground. And it leads to the next blessing, that is meekness. Verse 5, blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. That raises the question, what is meekness? You know, have you heard? Meekness is not weakness. We kind of think of a meek person. Oh, no, 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 no. That's totally upside down. Meekness is power, great power under control, like that big giant stallion horse totally under your control of the rider, even though he's way stronger than the rider. No, this is about control. Once we mourn over sin, we meekly give the control and power of our lives over to God. And then we have power that we've never known before. We can handle attacks and assaults and injuries and feel no need to get revenge or even to be bothered. Now, living like that is happy. That's some power right there that you can only get in Jesus. Can't be bothered. By that, attacks against you, that is happy living. How do you do it? B3 application is by bearing the Spirit's fruit of meekness. In the fruit of the Spirit, the last two in Galatians 5 are gentleness and self-control. This is a work of God's Holy Spirit in, in life. You can't do this on your own power, but He gives you the power to be gentle and self-controlled, not letting anything bother us. You get lied about, you get slandered, you lose your job. Your spouse yells at you or your parents yell at you when you're following Jesus meekly. You can be unhindered by all of it. That leads to our fourth beatitude for six. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So here you are. You're growing. You're happy. You can't be bothered by anybody because you've got Jesus and the power of his Holy Spirit. Now you need to turn your hunger and thirst for what's right. For what's right. And when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be satisfied. And don't we all want that, to be satisfied? There's a certain song about wanting satisfaction. Here it is. When our passions in life are for the right thing to happen in every situation, for God to be glorified, that's, when, that's hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And the promise, that kind of hunger will be satisfied by God. Are you continually unsatisfied in life? If so, how can I live so fully satisfied before application is by developing my hunger for righteousness. Here's an example that I heard and I, I've taken a lot from over the, over the last several years. I heard a solid Christian speaker say that he travels and he has spoken over about 300 times. He's traveled somewhere to speak and every single time he tries to travel with either a Christian brother or one of his kids who can go with him on these travels so that they can keep each other accountable, out of trouble with the idle hands and being far away from accountability, but that they can also sharpen each other on these trips. And anytime on the trip, when he's not working, what they do is whoever he's taken, his travel companion, they set out to sharpen each other. They'll read scripture together, they'll memorize scripture together, 
so that they're never resting until they get home. And then he can rest with his wife. Now, why is this so intense? Why is he so intense? Because he's developed a hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's just one example. Well, things we can put in place in our lives to hunger and thirst for righteousness. I take a lot of encouragement out of examples like that and try to live that way myself. I encourage you to hunger and thirst for righteousness. All right, let me just review where we've been, the first four points before we go on to the next four Beatitudes. When you are poor in spirit, that leads you to mourn over sin, which leads you to become meek, power under control like Jesus, which leads you to hunger for the right things that he hungers for. And for all of this, you need a saving faith in Jesus. You can't do it apart from Jesus. But with him, with your eyes focused on him, it's all ours. It's all ours. And it leads to our changed life. It's an upside-down life from the way the world lives. But as you're going to see as we go on, it's going to bring great effects into the world by the way we live. So embrace it. This is an abundant life. Let's go on to point B. First, what point, point A was how can I start to live? Now, how can I start to live abundantly? What we're going to see in the next four Beatitudes is total transformation. Okay, you ready for this? Jesus gives us the steps. Total transformation. Your relationships are transformed. Your psychology and mind and in heart and your whole direction and mission and purpose in life are all transformed into what Jesus calls an abundant life. Let's look at these next four Beatitudes. Verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. This is the key to all of your relationships being transformed into an abundant relationships. Mercy is being moved by empathy for someone else's suffering or pain or hurts, to feel someone else's pain and hurts, and to be moved by an extravagant desire to alleviate that suffering. This is relationships. This is love, to treat others as more important than yourselves and to be moved by their needs and to provide that how you can. Now imagine everyone living that way. You'd be giving it, you'd be receiving it. Mercy. Being moved by mercy leads to forgiveness. You won't hold on to a grudge which kills you anyway. And when you sacrificially give forgiveness to everyone, you are instantly met with the blessing of forgiveness, with freedom, with abundant life, freedom from that prison. Well, how do you get to this point where you can be so merciful and receive such mercy back? That is the application of B5, by confessing my sin and thanking God for His forgiveness and when you focus on the forgiveness you've received from christ let me say that again when you focus on what you've received from christ you will have no problem being merciful and you will see your relationships change all around you this is the path to abundant life enjoy the blessing now that our relationships are transformed jesus goes on verse eight are you still with me say yes all right Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You've got nothing blocking you from seeing God if you have a pure heart. David says in the Psalms, 
Create in me a clean heart, O God. See, the heart is the center of our will, our longings, our choices. So when we start wanting what God wants to be pure, to be holy, set apart from the sins of the world, we can see God. That means we got to stop wanting to go to that party. Stop wanting to dress and be into all the things that are ungodly that the world is into. We've got to start wanting God and to be pure in Him more than being sexually active, more than being intoxicated, more than telling dirty jokes and laughing at them, and fill in the blank, all of those other things that sometimes we want more than God. Now with that purity in heart, when you want God, you will see God. This is a blessed relationship with God. And for all who have tasted a, a, a sweet, powerful relationship with God, you know this is better than anything else in the world. How do we get that? Application B6, by walking in the light and living by the word. It's not a daily thing. We say this is a daily walk with God. It's not a daily thing. It's a moment by moment by moment thing. To keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Being in his will and in his word. Now sin loves the darkness. And so we choose and enjoy walking in Jesus' good light that he's given us. All these things so far, we've been talking about internal uh, transformation, internal transformation of our heart. Now, Jesus gets to outward transformation of the world around us. Verse 9, next, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God, because that's what Jesus wants, is peace. And so the peacemakers, sons of God. A friend of mine told me recently, uh, that some Christians at his church, different church, uh, some two young guys were, were fighting, okay, and they were claiming to have rights to be angry. He offended me, he offended me back, I have the right to be angry. And my friend said, no guys, that's not who we are. Jesus calls us to be peacemakers. When he told me that, I'm like, ooh, that's perfect right there. Way to go, way to go. We're calling out I've seen some of you do that too when there's arguments and fighting and, and people betraying each other behind their backs and some of you step up and say, no, that's not who we are. Jesus calls us to be peacemakers. And when we are, he calls us children of God because that's the attitude of Christ to turn this world upside down, to turn this world toward peace. That's what we do. When we do, we are blessed. We are blessed. Now we are headed toward a kingdom where there is nothing but peace. Oh, that's going to be great. There's a lot of hope there, and we look forward to that. But how do, we get some, how do we get there now? That's application B7, by promoting the gospel of peace to the world. When people who hate each other and are killing each other hear the gospel and receive the gospel of peace, they stop killing each other. They stop hating each other. They stop doing injustice to each other when we all follow Christ. Jesus calls us to proclaim his gospel everywhere. That is what planting and watering gospel seeds has been all about that we've been working on this summer. It brings peace. 
now preaching the gospel and calling all people to repentance and faith in Jesus. <clears throat> it's great. And if people accept it and their lives are transformed, they become spiritually alive and, and they start being peaceful. That's wonderful. But you know what? Not everybody's going to receive that very well. When we start calling people to repent of their God-hating, anti-Christ, and sinful ways, not everybody's going to be really happy about that. In fact, it could be really mean. There's a church history filled with martyrs, imprisonments, mocking and ridicule. We face it all the time. It's going to bring the possibility of being rejected or even persecuted. And that's why Jesus goes to Beatitude number 8 as his final one. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Happy, remember the meaning of the word blessed. Happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to say no to Satan's tricks and deceptions. I'm going to say no to the world and all the temptations of it. No to the bullies at school. No to the bullies at work. No to the government, whatever the government system is. It might be anti-Christ, trying to force anti-Christian things on its people. The world is full of those. No to all of those. You can't stop Jesus' blessing of all satisfying joy in the face of persecution. And Jesus says a lot about that in his words. And here it's the climax, the crescendo of the Beatitudes. Now here, this Beatitude, Jesus extends a little bit in verses 11 to 12. He says a little bit more about this. Let me read verse 10 again. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he goes on and expands this. Blessed are you. And I want you, I want you to hear this from Jesus himself. Because he's speaking this to you. Blessed are you, my brothers and sisters, when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Hear this from Jesus. And be happy because you're bringing truth and you're sharing in Christ's sufferings. Verse 12, rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He goes on to say, so they persecuted Jesus himself. Rejoice, you're sharing in his sufferings, you share in his glory, he says. So when you are laughed at, mocked, rejected, being forgotten about in your school club or sports team or that promotion at work because of your faithful witness to Jesus, don't be mad. Don't, don't be upset and frustrated and devastated. Rejoice in it. God's got some great blessings in store for you because of it. Oh, there is nobody as filled with hope and power as one following Jesus in every way. Ours is the kingdom of heaven. And he says we will drink the same cup that our master drank, and he will make our lives surprisingly happy and abundant because of it. Encourage each other with these words. 
Now, how do we reach this pinnacle of abundant life? Here's application B8, and that is by championing genuine righteousness at any cost. Live this way at any cost. Testament C, if he doesn't repay, so much more than you'll ever lose standing for him. Speak all truth. There's a way to speak it, though. In all grace about all sin. And when studying Christian history, we see that the, the people who got martyred for their faith or persecuted for their faith are the ones who spoke against the sins of the day. See, no one's going to be mad at you if you speak against littering, right? Amen? It's like, wow, yeah, that's great. I can really... But you speak to the sins of the day, that's, but you do it for Jesus because you know what Jesus knows, that it's the best thing for people to hear his truth. We could get run out on a rail in our environments if we speak God's truth about marriage, about divorce, about abortion, about gender identity, sexual purity, God's design, government overreach, the influence of secular humanism in our systems and our media. In our lives, if we speak against that with grace and truth, we'll get persecuted. And we can smile, living an abundant life because of it. And because the world needs to hear it. Christians are way too silent, too often. They need to hear truth, and they need to hear it lovingly. And interestingly, Jesus addresses many of those things in the Sermon on the Mount. And we'll go through many of them over the next several weeks, teaching us his kingdom way. Now, After building to this mountain peak of the Beatitudes to the abundant life, Jesus proclaims who we are in this world. And that's point number three, who the abundant life makes us. Let's leave here with this encouragement. This is what Jesus says that we are as we follow him in these callings. Verses 13 through 16, Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth. But now listen, if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? Hear Jesus' penetrating words. He pulls no punches when he speaks. If salt loses its saltiness, it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So don't lose this. This is, a, this is easy to understand what Jesus is using with the salt. Salt back then and today still has three main purposes that he's relating to here. First, with no refrigeration. Most of human history, no refrigeration. Salt preserved meat. It has a preserving effect. They rub salt on it and it lasts much longer. Christians following Christ preserve society you got that christians who are following christ preserve good society salt creates thirst that's another function christians on jesus mission create thirst in people to know more about jesus and salt adds flavor and may our lives add flavor to everyone else's life that we're around. Amen? You are the salt of the earth, Jesus says. Jesus adds then, who the abundant life makes us also, verse 14, you are the light of the world. Listen to what he says, and just imagine, he's talking to you, us, his people. 
A city on a, set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is about Him, not about us. The light is not about us. We're reflecting Jesus' light. But he's given it to us to shine it to everyone in the world. Because in light, everything flourishes. If you're into planting or science or medicine, you know that light makes everything flourish. The more Christians influence the world for the true Jesus, the more it will come to Christ and thrive. Function like a city on a hill, community grace. Function like a lamp on a stand. Stop hiding your faith. We have salt and light to be to the world around us. A lamp on a stand gives light to everyone around you. These are Jesus' words. I'm going to call up the worship team right now. As I do these next steps, they're going to come up and get ready to play the closing song that's going to be a song of worship to Commit to Christ to live this way, to follow him, and to do it all for God's glory. The chief end of mankind is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And both of those are our chief purpose in life, to glorify God and enjoy him. That's a happiness and abundant life forever. Here are the next steps. The opening of the Sermon on the Mount has told us today, number one is to start living. Start living today. The Beatitudes, my friends, are meaningless if you have not trusted Jesus as your Savior from sin. He has not given you His Spirit and the new life that He wants to give you. Jesus says you must be born again to enter the kingdom, and that's through trusting in Him for forgiveness as your Savior today. Have you done that? Will you do that? Will you call on Him? He's ready to forgive and give you life and be your Lord. Will you do that today? talk to us or write it on your communication card and put it in one of the baskets so we can follow up and live the rest of our lives growing in him and abundant life today and that's number two start living abundantly i want everybody here to live this way here's a few next steps some actions you can take these are on the screen but you, if you have your notes go back and circle the beatitudes that you need to focus on this week at this moment in your life that'll be a nice thing talk to your family or friends about that this is the beatitude that I need to work on the most and then do it. Next, we're going to be in one of the best passages of Scripture all fall. Would you meditate on Matthew 5 to 7 a lot? Like read it every day or once a week or in your home often. Just immerse yourself in Jesus' words. And then third, participate in your small group every week. They're there. They're open. We have several openings. Go over there. Get a study guide. And find a group if you're not in one, but be really active in your group. And do that in the relational context that Jesus established for his church family. It's not all about just sitting listening to a lecture, but living together. So that's how you can get the most out of the abundant life. Worship team, they're, they're going to lead us in a, a song that comes out of Psalm 115.1. that says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. Let's sing it like we mean it. Everybody please stand.